This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 458 with Heather Siegel. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 458. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Heather Siegel is the author of the award-winning coming-of-age memoir, Out from the Underworld. Her newest work, The King and the Quirky, a memoir of love, marriage, domesticity, feminism, and self, was just released. Heather was named a semifinalist in the Core Press 2018 Memoir Award. Her creative nonfiction has appeared on popular sites like Scary Mommy, as well as Salon.com, The Flexible Persona, and Entrophy Magazine. She holds an MFA from the New School University and lives on Long Island, where she teaches academic and creative writing for local colleges and continuing ed programs. So Heather came on the show to talk about the book, and I'm telling you, you're going to want to go buy both of her books because the stories are so compelling. I had like 1 million questions, and I was like, I clearly just need to go read both of these books. So listen in to hear Heather share what it was like growing up in a basement with her funeral director father while her mother was missing what compelled her to write a memoir and now two memoirs and share her stories, how she lost her hard edges in order to fall into a love narrative she never believed in, whether or not we should teach our children the true love narrative, the three legs or the true love triangle around eroticism, romance, and companionship, and whether or not we can have all three for the lifespan of our marriage, how to find your way back to your relationships and your own identity outside of marriage and motherhood, 
and how feminism and motherhood and being a stay-at-home mom all intersect. This was a fun conversation. I know you're going to identify the parts of the story. I know you're also going to be completely captivated by the things that make Heather's story so unique and so interesting and fascinating and unique to her. And so I'm very, very excited to have Heather Siegel joining us here on the Shameless Mom Academy. Heather, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you for having me. This is fantastic. I love everything you're doing. Oh, thank you. We have to tell people that we just mastered like 18 levels of technology to make this interview happen. So we've already won the day. (laughs) I feel like the podcast is over. I know. And we both, we started out our conversation joking about how we're both bad at technology. And then all of our technology went wrong right after that. It was a test. Totally, totally. We won the test, we're here, and I'm ready to go. So can you start us off and tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now? And this is a question I've been asking for years, and I know right now is a weird time, so I'm sure there's things you're excited about, but feel free to add in caveats around what's happening in the world. Yes, I'm excited about seeing people when I see them. Hi! Yes! What I am excited about has changed through this pandemic for sure. But I have switched from teaching in person to online teaching, and it's been rewarding. And I think that I'm most excited about the work that I'm doing, which is working with other writers and helping them with their stories, both fiction and nonfiction, and just sort of like crossed over into developmental editing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been great for me because as a creative nonfiction writer, it's really great to take a break from the I pronoun. <laughs> I'm tired of. <laughs> tired of your own to, stories. Yes. And to, you know, read other stories and to interact with them in their stories and help them achieve their dreams, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Can you tell people what creative nonfiction is for people who might not be familiar? Sure. Creative nonfiction is a branch of nonfiction which incorporates using literary elements in writing. So a memoir would be a type of creative nonfiction. Personal essay would be another type of creative nonfiction. Flash creative nonfiction, which would be sort of the equivalent of like a flash short story. But the literary elements that we use, such as characterization and dialogue and, you know, flash forward and flash backward and creating character arcs and using backstory and All of that, creative nonfiction is incorporating that instead of just reporting information, for example, or just being straightforward with the information. I love it. And how many books have you written? This is my second one that I've written. So we're going to talk about your current book in a minute, but I want to just backtrack. What was your first book? And I know the second one is a memoir. So can you share a little bit the difference between the two? Sure. Actually, they're both memoirs. The first book is a journey about my dysfunctional childhood, which was unnecessary and absurd. And it's where I developed what I think I developed a sense of humor from, maybe a little dark sense of humor. And it's a story about growing up with my funeral director father in a basement in middle-class suburbia, where I had to pretend that I wasn't having a hard knock life. You know, and there's some foster care in there. There's the mysterious disappearance of my mother. No one would tell us where she went, including the funeral director father who buried her. Um, Family secrets, the antithesis of 
the Jewish smothering family who sort of like turned a blind eye to what was happening to us. And it's really also a celebration, weirdly enough, about the connection I have with my brother and my sister. And I was the middle child. And I don't know if that's how I developed my sense of humor. But one of the ways that I found my way out in this book is called Out from the Underworld is through reading memoir and nonfiction narratives of other people. And that was what gave me, you know, the light to follow, a pathway to follow. And when I eventually, like, was able to survive in life and maybe do a little better than that, I went back to school to learn how to write. And I found myself drawn still toward the nonfiction. And I wanted to learn how to write memoirs. So I pretty much read everyone there is. (laughs) And eventually wrote mine. And then I guess I continued going down that road, although I am working in fiction now too. Very cool. Oh my gosh. Listening to like that description, I know everyone just wants to go buy the book now and (laughs) buy out from the underworld and read the story because it's so interesting. And I'm curious, I've actually talked to a couple people recently who I've heard them share just really fascinating stories about their lives. And when you live through a life that is yours, it feels somewhat normal, even if you recognize that like other people didn't have similar circumstances and yours might be a little unique. And I'm curious if when you decided to share your story, if you have this recognition that I have something really unique and different to talk about in terms of my family story, or if you were like, I don't really know if people want to hear this or if it's going to just kind of seem normal to them. Well, one of the things reading all of those nonfiction memoirs and narratives that I was talking to you about helped me with is actually putting my life into perspective. And as much as during the process, I thought, well, this is terrible. Mostly in my teen years, my brother, my sister, and I would look at each other and be like, what is going on with these adults around us? You know, what's wrong with these people? And I thought then that it was like a tough life that we were living. But when I would read these stories, I realized, well, you know what? I am not a Holocaust survivor or no, I'm not living in as a black female in Jim Crow South. So it really put my life into perspective. And I thought, all right, well, this sucks. I'm living in a basement with my father and nobody will tell me anything about my mother and whatever. But it's also not that bad. And I think that's what gave me that levity and sense of humor. So when I was ready to tell my story, having that perspective was everything because Mm -hmm. There's no self-pity in this. It's not going to be like, oh, please feel bad for me about this. It's me now looking back then and telling the story from a healed place and believing that my story was worthy enough to be told, but also working hard to tell the story and having that shift in perspective as I was telling it and understanding, yeah, I know there's worse stories out there. You know, here's where mine fits with all of that. And maybe... Also, it was to answer the question, I think, that everyone asked me, which is, how are you guys so normal? (laughs) And, you know, because it was just bizarre. How do you pretend that never happened? And how are you guys still so loving toward the adults around you? And so to answer those questions, and I think a lot of creative nonfiction starts actually with questions. Mm. Is creative nonfiction and memoir writing a form of therapy, would you say? I mean, I think it can be. And I think that it depends on your process as a writer. I think that if you are trying to journal and sort through things in real time, it can be. I personally like to read creative nonfiction and memoir when the work has already been done. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be reading about somebody in the throes of the problem, so to speak. I like to hear after somebody has sort of 
put that aside or gone through it or processed it and now has it's a richer experience for me to, as a reader. Yeah. So now bridge the gap for us between memoir one and memoir two. Sure. So memoir two is a much lighter read and it's lighthearted. And, you know, after I wrote my first book, I actually, I had an agent, she was shopping it and she told me she thought this was going to be the next Glass Castle. And a lot of people have drawn similarities to my book to the Glass Castle. And she was looking for a publisher for it. And, you know, it's a long, slow process, writing books, getting the agent, trying to find a publisher. I mean, years go by. And during this process, I thought to myself, well, what do I want to do now? I felt like I had, you know, maybe I'm that person who has one story in her, or maybe I'm that person who has many stories in her. I don't really know yet. But, you know, I know that every creative writing teacher I ever had said to me, write what you know. And the truth is, I didn't know a lot. (laughs) So Mm. I said, well, what do I know? And as I was doing this, I was in this place in life where I was staying home and I was kind of feeling the pressure of it all and the change of it all, having gone from having had somewhat of a career and, you know, going through the painful process, which I write about in this book of, you know, wondering how your love transforms from this to that and, you know, how can I regain a sense of power in my life? And as this was going on, I thought, well, I know about what I'm going through. And so you asked me about a form of therapy. And so I actually guess I did begin kind of jotting things down. And half of them were probably letters to my husband. And, you know, I don't even know if I even ever gave him those. But I also was actually like laughing to myself because a realization had occurred of how very opposite he and I were. Mm. And so I wrote a piece about how we were opposites. And something I know about myself is that when I'm having fun writing something and I'm truly laughing, I think it hits as funny to readers. Yeah. And I don't know if that's true for everybody, but I know it works for me because people say that was my favorite part. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I was laughing as I was writing that. And so I actually wrote about how we were opposites. And I thought, well, what can I do with this? Can I do anything with it? And in the meantime, I'm just living life. I'm trying to get through, you know, the whole staying at home, being a mom, going through it, the changes, all of that, going out on the weekends, or maybe even midweek with friends and sharing our stories. And I realized that I was living in this collective experience. Mm. As I know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. And I realized that everybody has their different personalized version of this, but maybe it's worth exploring and writing about. And the very questions that I ask, you know, that are on the back cover of this book, again, creative nonfiction starts with curiosity. I was curious about these questions. And so it took me some time to realize what the quote unquote story of this book is, but it really is, you know, the crucible or the setting that it's in is marriage, domesticity, love, you know, feminism, transformation of self, and all of that is just sort of the background setting. And then the story is how I lost this sort of like hard-edged persona that I had. And, and I was actually, you know, fine with doing that. And then I was, was just nowhere. And then I was just this amorphous being and I couldn't, you know, grasp onto anything. And then how do you find your way back? And so, you know, it's your authentic self, whatever that even means, you know, whoever that even is anymore, because who you are when you 
begin this journey, I think, is so different than who you are at the end. And what am I going to do about any of it? So I think it's an experience everybody lives in their own way. And I just decided to have fun with it. Yeah. So you just said something about losing the hard edges. Can you say more about that? Sure. This book actually begins with me as a small business owner. I mean, I think I was very cool and hip and edgy and, you know, I wore my thick black eyeliner and I just didn't believe in this love narrative, just did not buy into it at all. I just was too cynical about it because everybody I would see would be like, you know, getting divorced or, you know, Mm -hmm. they were ahead of me because I didn't even meet my husband until I was 34. And so a lot of my friends had already, they were already a decade in staying home, you know, half of them were divorced. And I just thought, what is this narrative we're fed all the time? I mean, from everything from the fairy tales to magazines to movie plots to all of it. And I just didn't buy it. I didn't believe it. This feeling, oh, you'll know. And that's sort of how this book opens. And then something happens. And you're like, wait a minute, I think I know something. What is happening here? And for me, I did jump in wholeheartedly into the whole love narrative and into the eventually the parenting and the stay at home life because I did have that rocky childhood. And so I wanted to experience all of that, especially I ended up having, I only have one child, my daughter, but I had that mother daughter connection that I had longed for my Mm -hmm. whole life. And so you know, that was my choice to do it. And I think if you're not careful and you don't keep a lifeline to yourself, you can just suddenly just snap to one day and just say, wait a minute, you know, forget about the hard edges. I mean, forget about like, you know, I'm not even wearing eyeliner anymore, but like my thoughts have changed along with this and Mm. I'm maybe feeling a little, you know, worthless. I'm not really sure, but I have to get out of this feeling that I'm having. Mm. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. 
there are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent. And I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first time or second time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. And did you think that you would never fall in love, get married, have kids? Never. Oh my gosh, this is so fascinating. So what was it like when that started to happen? Were you resistant to like this losing the edges, losing the eyeliner? Like, were you feeling the shift and leaning into it or were you resistant to it? Well, that we're talking basically chapters one through three here of this book. <laughs> <laughs> so people have to buy the book and read the book. I could even do a little reading if you wanted me to. Yeah, if you, um, yeah do you want to read a little bit? Yeah, I'd be yeah, happy to. Sure, yeah. Well, I have this very short intro, and also a lot of this intro, I should tell you, one morning I remember telling my husband, I said, you know, I didn't even know if I would find that publisher for the first book and all of that, and, you know, again, write what you know, and, and I wanted to write about us, but I wasn't sure what the story was, and then I realized that it's, you know, he's not the antagonist, and the story isn't about you know, my husband being the bad guy and all of this, you know, it's just about like, as I mentioned, just this crucible that we're in and how challenging it can be sometimes. And so I went downstairs. It was just one of those, you know, I had my like 5 a.m. to like 7 a.m. to myself before the house woke up. And I wrote this. I added a tiny bit to it eventually just to put a polish on it. But I wrote this and I remember my husband came down and I said, can I read you something? words he hates to hear (laughs) and but he was like okay you know and so I read it and he cried and he goes you just wrote that and I said yeah and he goes I love that and I'm like you do and that became the intro to this book so it's not that long it's um like a page and a half okay I'm ready this this feels very special (laughs) oh good (laughs) I used to feel bad about killing the mice Ten years ago, I would cup spiders, even mosquitoes, and free them outside. Once, I saw a squirrel get clipped by a car. His little gray body hurtled from street to sidewalk. I swerved to the side of the road and rigged a stretcher from an old Gap t-shirt and manila folder containing tax documents. I scooped up the terrified animal, slid him into the bushes, and covered him from the neck down with my t-shirt. Sorry, little guy. I'm just so sorry. I blinked back the tears, trying not to ruin my edgy black liner. They came anyway, and I cried for his pain as well as the injustice of mankind's selfish needs for more roads. After finishing my errands, I returned to check on him. He was gone. Had I saved his life? I like to think so. Either that or you gift-wrapped a meal for a hawk, my husband said when I told him the story ten years later. We were setting down mouse traps in our farmhouse kitchen. My cats, who had kept the mice at bay for years, had died of old age by then, and we were now reliant on Ace hardware to ward off the little black droppings. I hadn't gone straight for the snap-and-kill devices my husband had left under the sink. For when you're ready to get real, he'd said. Instead, I'd held my ground and tried the sonic plug-ins and the spearmint pouches that looked like oversized tea bags. But eventually, droppings sprinkled the floor around the stove, peppered the insides of the cabinets and drawers, and littered the bottom pantry shelf. I didn't want to get real, and I sure as hell didn't want to concede. But vaguely aware that the droppings were a metaphor for all I could no longer control in my life, and possibly even for the gazillion resentments I clung to, I reached under the sink, smeared peanut butter onto the yellow plastic faux cheese bits, and hoped for a small victory. 
Still, it was shocking that first time when the, I found the innocent creature served up on that little wooden board, eyes bulging, head hooked in place. I felt terrible. Did he really deserve this cruel death? The second time, I felt a little more pragmatic about it. Mice did carry disease, and I had a child to worry about now. By the third mouse, I developed a utilitarian stoicism. I mean, what had to be done had to be done. But I'd be lying if I didn't admit every now and then. I felt a touch of sadistic satisfaction as I dropped the trap into the garbage pail. I warned you, motherfucker, I actually whispered aloud one morning. Am I allowed to curse on here? <laughs> and totally that's Okay, and that's when it hit me. Marriage can really change a person, which isn't necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, unless, of course, you realize you don't actually like the person you've become and want to get back to your old self, but don't know how. Then what? Well, first, you recognize you're not alone. Understanding this metamorphosis can happen to the best of us, to women who once lit pathways for themselves, who commanded their careers and listened to their dreams, or at the very least to those women who once operated as independent beings in the world before they entrapped themselves in marital bliss, or as I like to call it on a bad day, the identity-sucking vortex of domestic life. Second, I suppose you do what you do when you've lost anything, say, your keys. You retrace your steps to where you last saw them. So this is me retracing my steps in chapter two to that hard-edged, mm. black eyeliner-wearing person who rescued squirrels <laughs> the side of the road. <laughs> I love this. I like how all of that frame is framed is really cool and relatable. And yeah, it's so interesting, I think, that the conflict or the emotional paradoxes and that you walk through as like with each mice, with each mouse that gets trapped and this feeling of like first feeling compassion and, and, yes. and like working your way up this ladder to like no emotion. I love like utilitarian <laughs> and you had this coming and you should have known. And yeah. So interesting. So interesting. And, and I think really relatable. And I think, oh my gosh, I mean, I think that that's a scale that any given day in motherhood, like we have that with our kids and in our marriages too. We have this, we're like in one minute, you can be so compassionate and empathetic and in something. And literally like 30 seconds later, you're like, now, now I'm done. hundred <laughs> percent. We're moving on. And I can't carry more empathy for you right now, as it turns out. A hundred percent. And for me, it was, you know, I began as this, you know, person who would free the mosquitoes outside and use the peppermint pouches to ward off the mice and all that. But, you know, 10 years later, you know, in that marriage and in that life, that also changed me. And so yeah. that's when I, you know, was cursing at the mice. And so, yeah, I mean, there are positive things about that change that we go through. And then there's sometimes you look at yourself and you go, well, I don't really like this. What can I do to change this? Yeah. I'd love to talk a little bit more about this true love narrative that you thought you would never fall into, that you didn't think was meant for you. And what do you think about, is this something that we should believe in? Is this something that we should be teaching our children? This is something I think about a lot. And I often think about it in the context of just what traditional marriage looks like. And, you know, talking to my child about starting in kindergarten, it was like, oh, well, I have a girlfriend and I'm going to marry her and blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. like, or you can marry the little boy next to you, like, or mm-hmm. you can marry no one. And there's this piece of me that's like, I can't wait for his wedding day and for him to have a baby and I get to babysit it. And I have find myself wanting to shut that down to be like, I don't mm. know if that's his path. I don't know if that's going to be his story. And it's not up to me to project because that would make me feel good and bring me joy to hold his baby. <laughs> it's not up for me to project that onto him. 
This episode is supported by Every Plate. So Every Plate allows you to experience fuller plates and fuller wallets with America's best value meal kit. You're going to get meals that you enjoy and your bank account will love all delivered right to your door. So think of it this way. One meal is the same price as one single cup of coffee. I know it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> so you're going to be so excited because I know that this is the limiting factor so often with meal delivery services is we think, well, it's going to be so expensive, so I shouldn't do it or I can't do it. And then we stay stuck making dinner every night. Every plate has your back on this. So every plate dinners are the cheaper alternative to takeout or delivery. Recipes come together in about 30 minutes, definitely faster than a trip to the store and starting a meal from scratch. And every plate offers contactless delivery to your doorstep for home cooking on a budget. So when you go to the Every Plate site, you're going to be super pumped about their meal options. So they change weekly and you can pick the family style or the two servings option. And the meals are amazing. So here's a couple that are just in this week's rotation. Tuscan herbed chicken, beef bon me bowls. Oh, and this other one, this is the one I have to get for my husband, smothered and stuffed meatloaves. So my husband loves meatloaf. I'm never going to make a meatloaf. That's just not who I am. But you know what? I'll order a meatloaf that someone else can get all the stuff ready for. And then I can just quickly throw it together. But like for me to go shopping for a meatloaf and then have to like make a big, huge thing, this is perfect. All the ingredients are pre-portioned out. It's super simple. And I don't feel like I have to like, when my mom makes a meatloaf, it's like a big production. This keeps it super, super simple. Blackened chicken penne, yum. Zucchini and shroom, as in mushrooms, hibachi bowls. Oh my gosh, this one looks so good. Poison pork sloppy joes. Yes, please. Okay, here's the one my husband is gonna love. Smothered and stuffed meatloaves. The guy loves a meatloaf. <laughs> and there's a few things I don't do well and meatloaf is one of them. So lots of great options. You can choose, there's veggie options, there's spicy options. You can choose family servings or servings for two. So tons of different options. You're gonna start drooling the second you get on the website. Everything's delivered right to your door, ready to go so that you can get started quickly and easily. And you're gonna be very surprised and delighted by how much money you can save compared to so many other meal delivery kits. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go over to everyplate.com and you're gonna get three weeks of EveryPlate meals for only $2.99 per meal. So go to everyplate.com and you're gonna enter the code SHAMELESS3. So go to everyplate.com, use the code SHAMELESS3 to get three weeks of EveryPlate meals for only $2.99, holy cow. That's everyplate.com code shameless three. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, that's also something I describe in the book is why I didn't believe in this love narrative that I was fed in one form or another. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's having three things that seemed impossible to have with one person. Mm. And that was eroticism, romance, and companionship. And I felt like if I had this triangle, complete, like that's your everything. And I never had that. Like, I mean, up to 34, I mean, I dated a lot. I'm not going to say I didn't. <laughs> and I would have one thing with someone or two, yeah. but I would never have all three. And I just didn't think that that was possible because even the people that I had seen get married, that thought, oh, maybe they've got all three. And I just felt like then I would, you know, talk to one of the people in that coupleship privately and I'd realize they only have two. And so so I think that's one thing that I talk about in the book. And I also come to realize that maybe you can have these things, but you have to work at it. 
And you may, like I think in marriage, you may have, if it is possible to have all three, you may have them for 10 minutes once (laughs) during the year. You know, it's not this constant that, you know, when we're in that love drive, right, that Helen Fisher, the anthropologist talks about, which is like more addicting than heroin, when you meet that person and your dopamine is spiking and all of that, right? When that happens, maybe you feel like you have it constantly with that person. But then when that burns off after whatever it is, 17 months or two years, you know, then what do you have? And which of those are most important to you? I mean, I think it's different for everybody. For some people, eroticism is the most important thing in their relationship. For others, it's companionship. You know, I don't know. So I think I would just sort of open the dialogue, like with my daughter. The other thing is, is that, you know, she came home recently and was talking to me about, well, this is before COVID, when she was talking to me about, you know, her friend got mad at her and she was sort of choosing, you know, this online guy, the whole social media thing with the guys and the girls and the girls and the girls. How old it's is all, your daughter? She's 13. Okay. You know, it's just ridiculous. You know, they're Can't dating, even but they never met. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so not looking forward to this. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, she was telling me about an argument. I said, listen to me. It's sisters before misters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> totally. She, she just looked at me like, Oh, okay. And I said, you're never choosing, you know, and I don't care if it's a guy or a girl, whatever. You're not choosing the romance over the friendship that you have in your life. Because I don't think one person can give you everything. I think we need a village and we need friendship and we need connections. And I think so, even if you go for the feeling and you believe the feeling is real and, you know, you buy into all of that. And I bought into it. I think you have to have that lifeline to outside with friendships. And I think that a lot of people get into relationships and they get caught up in that love drive and they put other relationships aside. And even if you do get swept up in that, go back to those relationships and strengthen them and keep them going because those are the relationships that you're going to need Mm -hmm. later. And so, I mean, I'm not going to discourage anyone from feeling like they have that you know, high that love gives them. And I wouldn't discourage my daughter, you know, whoever she finds it with, but I am going to definitely make sure that she continues other relationships. And I think continues her own interests, whether it's through work and hobbies or whatever it is, as if it's irrelevant that she's in that relationship. Like it doesn't even matter. Maintaining a sense of identity outside of that, that supersedes the relationship. Yes. Yeah. And I think you're only going to be more attractive in your relationship if you do that too. Totally. So what I think happens often, and I 100% agree with everything you said about maintaining connections with the outside. And I think that, you know, this can happen in the form of a new relationship for sure, where you lose yourself in the relationship or just, it's so exciting that you're just really sucked in. And sometimes that's temporary and sometimes it's not so temporary and people really lose themselves for long periods of time. But I would say when we add motherhood to that relation, there's the dynamic of the relationship. And then you add a child to that, the opportunity to lose outside connection is exponentially greater. And sometimes just the, our circumstances around motherhood necessitate that like, we don't have the time, the bandwidth, the energy, the anything to maintain relationships outside of marriage and motherhood at sometimes in certain phases of our life. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. 
I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell, Laughing in the Face of Motherhood, wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the no guilt mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. And so can you talk about how you see us losing ourselves in motherhood and also how do we find our way back? Well, I mean, obviously everybody's journey is different. So, I mean, I really can't speak for other people, but I think that, you know, for me, I think it was definitely falling into the, as I mentioned, the softness of it and allowing myself to get caught up in that. And I didn't maintain all of the relationships that I should have had. I mean, I sold my businesses That was not necessary. (laughs) I didn't need to do that, but I did. And I guess I merged everything. I didn't also keep a sense of financial feminism going Mm. for myself. And I just trusted in the process and in the relationship and all of that. I think that that's something that I'm going to have to instill in my daughter is, you know, just to maintain that something for herself separate. I don't know. I mean, I lost myself because... I allowed someone else's ideals as well and somebody else's values to mix with my own instead of, and also I was exhausted. I remember this. I was exhausted and sometimes like just letting somebody just, you know, take charge or, you know, maybe have the final say in something. I allowed that to happen and I realized that that was sort of a mistake because the name of this second memoir is called The King and the Quirky, and you can guess which one I am. <laughs> and there's nothing, there's no trauma, there's no illness, there's no abuse, there's no, you know, it's really just like, you know, how do you go from a 10 to a four or a 10 or to a six, you know, in like this relationship. But I did marry someone very strong. And so when I was just, you know, feeling tired and exhausted and sneaking in my naps and whatever it was, you know, in those early years, or that at least that first year, allowing that person to, you know, put his values first before my own, because we had opposite value systems, that was a mistake. So I had to reclaim what was important to me, you know, and what am I even talking about? Like, well, for example, when I met him, I had an alkaline water filter attached to my faucet. Yeah. And, you know, he was like, I'm a person of like art and creativity and 
at the time, spirituality, and he was all about like science and logic. And he was oh also gosh, an engineer. Such big differences. Yeah. And he was an engineer. I mean, all you yeah. need to say is like writer, creative, nonfiction, yeah. and engineer. Like, those and are- so he looked at that and he said, what is that? You know? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, it's out ionizing the water and alkalizing the water. And, you know, mm-hmm. and I just like, you know, practically like, you know, doing an infomercial for this thing. Right, you know? right. And he's like, well, actually, you know, the pH of water and gives me the whole spiel, you know, right. about like the right. science, you know, of water, you know, it made me laugh at the time, but then that was something we fought about later. Mm-hmm. And then like, I'm sitting here trying to actually still carry this new alkaline filter to like our new home and plug it in. And then he's fighting with me about like, this isn't real and this is pseudoscience and, you know, mm-hmm. and so then what did I do? I didn't hold my ground. I gave up and I allowed non-filtered water right (laughs) right so these are these are the things that we do i think that's so relatable like it's a kind of a light funny story in some ways but this is so relatable because i think so many of us do this and i think in many situations it's the woman who concedes the wife that concedes first well in this case because it for me it was because of the the strong personality and the exhaustion so couple those two together so i think when i got back my even just like some of my strength, I realized that I have to assert myself, you know, and not for anything, but he probably fell in love with the person who was asserting herself. Right. And so it's, you know, it would help my relationship, but it would help me, which Mm -hmm. is, would be more important. But then of course, you know, the deal, if you help yourself, then that helps every relationship in your life. Hey mamas, before we wrap up this episode, I have a special announcement to make. So listen it. So here's the deal. Every so often, but not very often, we open the doors up to Momentum Mamas. And this typically only happens if you do a special event with me, like if you're part of a special workshop or if you come to Shameless MomCon or even this year, the Shameless MomCon Collective, which we did virtually. But every so often, like once a year or so, I open the doors to anyone who wants to come join us. And that's gonna be happening really soon. And I don't want you to miss it. So here's the thing that makes Momentum Mamas really special. This is my membership community. It is a tight-knit group of mamas who spend a full year getting to know each other, getting to know each other's goals and dreams, and really supporting one another as you take actions toward your dreams. So this is a proven path to step into your power, cultivate the courage and the confidence that you crave, and get more of what you want every damn day. We're actually coming up on the two-year anniversary of this program, and it has blown my mind over and over and over to see what has been accomplished by the people, the moms who have joined our group. So typically we see just within the first few weeks or even the first month or so, we see dramatic change and shifts in our members' lives. We see them taking chances and taking courageous action that have dramatic impact in their lives in such positive and powerful ways. And the reason this happens is because so many of you are in worlds where you don't feel fully supported. And all of a sudden you have this environment in this community of women who are saying like, I got you, go do what you wanna do and we are here to support you. And all of a sudden it feels safe. It still might feel a little scary to take courageous action, but it feels safer because you know you have a community of moms who have your back and who will support you and who will cheer for you and will teach you as you go. So in Momentum Mamas, you have me acting as your coach and we meet every Monday as a group. You get coaching with me. 
between calls. We have an amazing Facebook group, which is so engaged and it's mamas supporting each other and asking questions and teaching lessons and talking about their life experiences. And it's just this amazing, beautiful, powerful place where we see over and over connections and relationships being forged that allow you to go take action in your life that maybe you've been putting on hold, putting on hold for too long, putting on hold because you've been waiting for just the right time. Maybe the right time is now. Maybe the right time is now for you to connect and join us. So if you, if anything I've said resonates, if you have the slightest inkling to find out more about Momentum Mamas, all you need to do is get on the wait list. So go to shamelessmom.com slash wait list. That's shamelessmom.com slash wait list. And as soon as we open the doors in the next week or so, you will get an email that tells you everything you need to know about Momentum Mamas, how you can join the program, all the goodies that you get. We have some really cool bonuses that we're offering this round when you join. I definitely want you to be a part of this. I think there's never been a time where we have needed more connection with each other, more opportunities to lean in and lean on each other and have each other's backs. And so I got you and Momentum Mamas, they all got you. You don't have to show up alone. You don't have to mama alone right now. And you definitely don't have to try to get through 2020 alone. So pop on over to shamelessmom.com slash waitlist, get yourself on the waitlist and keep an eye on your inbox. So we ended up actually getting a house filter, which we have now. So I guess it was a compromise too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Aquasana. Nice. So you mentioned financial feminism, and I know you also talk about this question around being a stay-at-home mom and being a feminist. So can you talk about that intersection and what is feminism and stay-at-home feminism? What does all that mean to you? Well, feminism to me, I mean, I walked by the women's studies department when I was in college and I graduated in the early 90s. And the reason that I did is because I felt like it was a cause that belonged to someone else. And Mm -hmm. I now know, looking back, it's because I was a feminist. I didn't know it. And the feminism that I, you know, knew about was, you know, radical feminism. And I just felt like, well, you know, I don't need to get involved in that. I mean, because I was spoiled. I was taking for granted everything that the, you know, first few waves waves of feminism did for us, you know, getting Mm -hmm. us the right to vote and earn own property and all of that. And so I didn't see it as any crisis and I was doing whatever I wanted, which to me is the definition of feminism. It's your choice. If you want to stay home, that's your choice. If you want to go to work, that's your choice. Don't let anyone tell you differently. That's what feminism is. But I didn't know anything and I walked by that department and I wish I would have stopped in because I think that I should have learned more about the fight and the fights that had taken place before. And Mm -hmm. maybe I would have even learned even more about like where marriage started and, you know, what it was for and all of that. And I would have questioned it. It is something I bring up in the book when I do think about like, well, what does it even mean to be married and all of that? But I think that when I was staying home, what I realized is part of why I felt powerless, and I don't even like to say it, I don't even like to admit it, but I feel like it was true, is that I did give up my financial power. And so when I lived alone and I had my own house and my own business and my own car and my own everything under my name, and you know, even though I didn't like writing checks because it was just tedious, I would do it. And you know, I was able to be self-sufficient. And when I did all of that, you know, I didn't realize that that is a form of power. And when I was, you know, now married and somebody was saying to me, you know, Hev, what is this on the Amex bill? And I was like, oh, you know, that's my vitamins from whatever, you know, and this person with the opposite value system was like, <laughs> you know, that's ridiculous. Vitamins right? are like, not those science. Are, right? <laughs> that's not, 
you don't need them, you know, whatever. And, or, you know, that store is higher price than that. You know, whatever. I was just like, what the hell is going on here? You know, and and why am I being questioned over this? I'm a grown up, you know, that I would push back against that. And then we'd fight generally and, you know, whatever. And so what I realized is, I needed to get back some sort of financial feminism for myself. Anyway, I thought that was the answer. It turns mm-hmm. out that it's also just, you know, being secure in my own value systems and my choices. So I think that's yes. the ultimate answer. But I think it yeah. does help to have a little secret cash. I'm not going to lie. And yeah. that's definitely something that I'm going to instill in my daughter, which is that, you know, this idea that you can merge with somebody, that's great. But if you can, whatever you can put away, I don't care if it's $5, that's your own, or if it's, you know, $5 million, do it. Because, you know, not answering to somebody over that, when you stay home, you go, all right, I'll take on this role. And then that person's going to be the primary breadwinner, right? Which I don't know why it turns out that it's mostly, you know, the female, I don't know, I guess it's the mother, I have no idea. But when you do do that, I think that that does, it does change the equity of things sometimes. And it did for me, it may not for everyone, but it did for me. And I realized I needed to change that. And honestly, it's still a journey. I'm not nearly where I need to be, but at least I have this small, tiny account. I don't care if there's only, you know, $200 in it at times, at least I have that. And I feel like a sense of, you know, Oh, I can go do what I want, or I don't have to tell this person everything. (laughs) I don't have to justify the price of my vitamins. (laughs) Exactly. I love this. And I think this is so important. And I think this gets missed so often that something that you said was around like identifying your value system and connecting what you're doing in marriage and motherhood to your value system. And that can be the definition of feminism, that you are doing what you're doing because it is what you stand for. And that's it and like you're owning it versus shrinking in it. I think that just changes everything. And I've seen so many women that I've worked with shift their view around who they are, who they're becoming and getting clarity on whether or not they're aligned with their core values. And as soon as they get alignment around like, oh, but this aligns with my core values and now I can own it in a different way, then 100% it's like they're standing in their power. And that's feminism right there. It doesn't need to look a certain way or be packaged a certain way. It's that you can own who you are, where you're going, what your role is right now, and not really care what anyone else has to say about it or not need anyone else's validation around it. Yes. And then I think it's just as important to not be judging someone else about it, you know, whatever their choices, whether their choices to work or to stay home or to try them both out at different periods of their life. So good. Okay. So tell people where they can get the book, how they can connect with you, read all of your stories and all the good stuff. Sure. So, um, well, I have a website, heathersiegel.net. And of course I'm on, and Siegel is S like Sam, I-E-G-E-L. So heathersiegel.net. And of course I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I actually just did my book launch on Facebook Live, which I think is available to be viewed by the public. And I did it in my backyard, not quite the book launch that I had (laughs) envisioned. It's the COVID launch, not quite the book launch I envisioned. I had plans to go to Barnes and Noble and they called me and said, well, we're not even open yet. So, And when we do open, I don't even know if we're allowed to have that many people in the store. And so I 
thought, well, I guess I'll just have my dog interview me. And my friend said, oh, come on, you know, like invite a few friends over. And so I invited about three or four friends over. And then people started texting me neighbors and saying, okay, well, what time should I come? And I'm like, what? Oh my so God. I so ended fun. up having like 15, 20 women in my backyard, made them sit six feet apart and bring their masks. And I ended up just, you know, whatever, finding my daughter's karaoke mic, (laughs) which turned out to be in the vacuum closet, not where I was frantically looking for it four (laughs) minutes before we went live and I was sweating. And then just being real, just, I mean, you know, being real about the process and nobody could hear me and is this louder and you see my underwear and, you know, we did all of that, (laughs) you know, just off the cuff and quick little reading. So anyway, yes. So heathersiegel.net, Instagram, Facebook, you know, the usual places. We will. Perfect. So we'll link that all up our, in our show notes and then people can find it there. So if you go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Heather Siegel and all those links will be right there for people to click through and get the new book, get the first book. So get the king and the quirky, get out from the underworld. I love your story. And this was a fun conversation. I'm super intrigued by different people's perspective around feminism and relationships and what that looks like, because it can look like so many different things. So I just really appreciate you being here and sharing today. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. I really appreciate you having me. Thanks, Heather. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom and Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, 
PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.